It is so wonderful to be back uh, with you here uh, today, and we, we enjoyed our time away as a family to get to rest some, and it is so great to have our kiddos in worship here with you today, and, and uh, parents, that even goes for me as a, a pastor. In fact, uh, after uh, we did the opening and the announcements, I walked down front, and my son Jackson looked at me when I almost forgot the baptism. He went, Dad, you almost forgot the best part, and I was like, so sorry, buddy, and, uh, but then he got me right before I got up. He rubbed my shoulders. He said, hey, go get them, Dad. Go get them. So... You know, uh, but hey, we are super excited to have our kiddos with us today. But this morning, we're going to begin a series entitled Mighty Moments in the Book of Mark. The Book of Mark is considered the first and the oldest of the four Gospels that record the life of Jesus. While the author of the book is Mark, most scholars uh, believe that it is either dictated or heavily influenced by the life of the Apostle Peter. The book of Mark is also more heavily filled with the workings of miracles and the supernatural actions of Jesus per per capita than any of the other Gospels. During this season, we're not going to go verse by verse through the book of Mark this summer, but we are going to focus systematically on some of the mighty moments in the book of Mark where we see Jesus doing what we would consider the supernatural, doing the powerful or clearly moments where he did a unique work. We are going to look at these moments. And the reason why I felt led to look at these moments this summer is I believe and I'm praying that it stirs our hearts to believe for and seek out the mighty moving of God in our lives today. Church family, you don't have to be a charismatic today to believe in the ability of the power of God that moved in the early church to be available and still be God's desire here today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're praying for the power of God to work among us. And church family, we need that. We need the power of God to sustain us in this dark and broken world. But we also need the power of God to send us out in this dark and broken world. Leonard Ravenhill, the revivalist, said, The world is not looking for a new definition of Christianity. They're looking for a new demonstration of Christianity. When we say to the world that our Jesus saves, the world wants to see people being saved. When we say to the world we believe that Jesus sets people free and He is the one way to the Father, He gives life and direction, then the world around us demands to see evidence of that. And we believe that that is God's will. So look with me, Mark chapter 1 today. And we're going to look here at Jesus' first ministry encounter while he is visiting a synagogue, which was common in the ministry of Jesus. He visits a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, a synagogue was essentially uh, the gathering place for Jews to come and worship and hear the Scriptures. Uh, They they gathered on the Sabbath, and it was comparable uh, to what we consider as Christians today as we gather on Sundays inside the church. In a lot of ways, this is the church gathering of the Jews in that day. So let's look in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And I want us to do something today. I want us to stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word today. It says, Mark 1, beginning in 21. And they, meaning Jesus and the first disciples, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and, as the, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were all amazed, so that they questioned themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Father, I pray today, oh Lord, would you stir our faith, God, to believe for your working among us. And God, direct us in those first steps. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, hey, there's a lot going on here in this passage And we see Jesus teaching with authority. We see the people being amazed. We see demons being cast out and Jesus' fame being spread throughout the entire region. Now there's a lot of ways that we could approach this text today. But I want us to look at it today from the vantage point of what happens when God really steps in. What happens when Jesus steps in the room or into our lives. And to bring it down to us here today, what happens... When Jesus comes to church. Now, many of us have had those moments in church or in seasons of the life of the church where it just seemed like God was everywhere. In these moments or seasons in the life of the church, we see vibrant Christ-centered worship. We see people hungry for prayer and for the Word of God. We see people have a burden for lost people. and We see people saved and being set free. In moments like this, you can't really point to any one thing that is the cause. You just know that Jesus is among you. You can't wait to get to church, but also you can't wait to open up your Bible at home. Some refer to it as revival. Some refer to it as an awakening. But we know it as God being among us. How many have had those seasons in our hearts and lives before? We've experienced that. There's something special about God doing that among a church body. But sadly, many of us have also seen or experienced seasons in the life of the church where this is far from the case. Moments where it feels like God is nowhere to be found. In moments like this, sincerity and worship is replaced with routine and lifeless repetition. Instead of hunger for the word and prayer, there is apathy and lack of devotion. In sad moments like this, sin begins to creep into the church like gossip and immorality. And that often leads to not people coming to faith in Christ, but rather to people leaving the church or leaving the faith. I remember hearing a story several years ago about a young man who visited a small country church in his community. And the young man came to the church and he was wearing t-shirts and blue jeans just like he normally wears. And an older gentleman in the church came to him and said, young man, is is that what you're supposed to wear to church? The young man, he said, well, sir, I I don't really know what I'm supposed to wear to church. And the guy kind of sarcastically said, well, why don't you just go home and go pray and ask God what you're supposed to wear to church? Well, the young man left. Well, to everyone's surprise, The next Sunday, the young man came back again, was walking in wearing the same blue jeans and the same t-shirt. The older gentleman again walked up to him and said, well, young man, I thought you were supposed to go home and pray and ask God what you were supposed to wear to church. And he said, well, sir, I did. And I went home and prayed and asked Jesus what I'm supposed to wear to church. And Jesus said to me that he'd never been to y'all's church. He don't know what y'all wear here. (laughs) The reality is, is that sadly... This is true for many churches. They've got God on the video screen. 
they got God on the website. We've got God in the materials, God in the print pieces, God on the signs and God on the door. But really, if we look within, God is far from being present among them. Like when the Old Testament, when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from the children of God, and the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, and a child was born that day, and they named the child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed us. I believe spiritually there are churches and places of worship and people where spiritually speaking it is as if Ichabod is stamped on the door. The glory of God is not there. They have a form of godliness is what Jesus referred to, but they deny its power. There's no working and moving of God. The fireplace is there, but there's no flame in the fire. Now I want you to know this morning, church, I don't believe that this is here. I don't believe that that is true here at Indian Baptist Church. But what I do believe is that there's so much more God wants to do here. I believe that there's more of the power and the working of God that God wants to do in and among us. And like always, I believe that Ichabod is a possibility for any people of God. And usually it comes down to whether or not we are dependent and pursuing to be a people who are desperate for his power or we're satisfied with the status quo. And this morning as we look at this story... When Jesus came to church, I want to give us some principles that I think are we see in this text of what happens when the power of God is really among, among his people. And I, I want us to evaluate where we are as people and where we are as a church. And I'm praying that it stirs us on as we begin this series this summer to a summer of seeking, to a summer of pursuing the power and the presence of God in our lives personally and among us, because that's what the church is. It's all of us together. So look with me in this text today. If you're keeping notes first, from this passage, we see that when Jesus comes to church, the first thing that happens is the Word of God comes alive. When Jesus stepped in here and began to teach, it was the first thing that they noticed. They were astonished at His teaching. They were astonished at His teaching first and foremost because the Bible says that He taught with one who had authority. The Greek word for authority there is exousia which is translated power or right or jurisdiction. When Jesus spoke the word of God, he didn't speak the word of God of what God had said. He didn't preach the word of God about what God might be saying today. When Jesus stepped in the room, he was speaking the word of God as though God was still speaking. There was an evidence that he was present there among them. Anytime a church or a person loses the authority of the Word of God or becomes lackadaisical about devotion to it, the power of God ceases to become present, which is absolutely what happens in churches and denominations who they compromise the truth of the Word of God to try to attract the next generation or liberal thought. And what ends up happening is it just speeds up their demise and their death. Because when you lose the power of God, you lose God. This passage also shows us that Jesus' teaching was unique because he didn't teach as the scribes taught. The scribes often looked at the scriptures in an academic approach only. They looked at what the text, they dove into just only the academic portions of the text. And there's nothing wrong with deep, in-depth study. But they didn't do it necessarily to hear from God. They did it to expound some intellectual knowledge. It was not about meeting with God. But when Jesus stepped on the scene, the word of God came alive. When Jesus is pregnant, present among his people today, in a similar way, the word of God will be alive in us. So I want to give you three ways that we can spot 
when the word of God is alive among God's people to be a gauge of whether or not he is working in us today. First, we see when Jesus is among us and his word is alive in us, we should see it in our preaching. When Jesus is at work in the church, one of the first places that we can gauge it is in the pulpit. Throughout the scriptures, we see that in the middle of great movements of God, that God's men who were called and set apart to preach his word have his word alive and burning within them as we see Jesus here in Mark chapter 1. We see it again during the return from exile in the Old Testament when revival was happening among God's people that Ezra was reading from the Word of God and people were standing for hours hearing the Word of God being preached. In the New Testament, we see John the Baptist preaching and preparing the way for Jesus for his arrival and the fire of God filling the words of John. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter standing up being filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching and thousands coming to know Jesus. Now, none of these men, by their preaching ability, brought about the working of God, but rather God was at work, and so he found his preachers. Church family, this causes me, as your pastor, to come to a place of great humility and inspection in my own heart and ministry. I preach from this pulpit almost weekly, And my question shouldn't be, have I preached a good message? Or have I drawn crowds? Have I stirred hearts? All of these things can be good in God-honoring results from God's Word being alive inside His vessels. However, if those results are the focus and goals of preachers like myself, then we can easily become servants of ourselves and our egos, or we can simply become servants of the people desiring to just give people what they want to hear. However, I believe that that God desires from me and from every other man whom he has called to preach his word is for us to preach not for the results of the message, but for the glory of the master. To be filled each week with the word of God that God's people need to hear. One of my verses that I pray, I have prayer cards that I pray almost weekly here at Enon. And one of them is about my preaching ministry. And I pray Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 17 where God called Ezekiel to preach. And this is what he said to him. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. When Jesus is at work in his church, his preachers are not inventors of sermon, but watchmen waiting for God's word. They become vessels and conduits. We are simply vessels by which God speaks. Church family, I believe that God can and still give words to his people. God can give words to his messengers that come from heaven that we need to hear today. And it's something that we should see evident in our church. After we gathered at church, the question should not be, did we hear a good sermon today? But rather it should be, did we hear from God today? This will determine whether or not Jesus is at work among us. And church family, this is why I would beg you to pray for me and every other man who would stand in this pulpit to preach that, 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 that the labor of preaching is, oh God, in prayer and, and study, oh God, would you speak to me your word? And then I would come into this pulpit as though I am giving birth to the word of God. And also, it's another reason why we need to make the Sunday gathering matter. Because the day that you miss on Sunday may be the day that you miss the word that God has to speak to you. So again, when we see God is at work among us, we need to see that fire in the pulpit. And I pray humbly before God, oh God, may that be true in me. Secondly, when Jesus is among us and his word is alive in us, we should see it in our personal longing. 
When God is at work in us, his people, we should begin to hunger to pursue God personally. Without doubt, those who heard Jesus that day proclaim the word of God, that they began to hunger for it. In fact, if you read on down in this passage, the Bible says the next day that the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Everybody's trying to find you. And why is that? Because they had tasted the word of God. They had met with God and they longed for it again. The same should be true among us if God is at work among us. We should long to come into the house of the Lord to meet with God personally. We should long to get into small groups and hear his teaching and equip classes. But most importantly, we should long to meet with God personally in our homes. Church family, one of the things that will mark revival in our church is going to be when God's word becomes alive on Monday through Saturday as much if not more than it is on Sunday. When God starts to ignite a fire and a passion within us to meet with him. Not as though we're reading what God said, but what God is saying. And then thirdly, when Jesus is among us and his word is alive in us, we should see it in our public and private obedience. It's one thing to long to hear from God, but it's another thing to want to follow God's word. One of the distinguishing characteristics here of Jesus' teaching was that he taught with authority. That word authority meant he had right or jurisdiction. It means when Jesus spoke, it was as if God was saying, thus says the Lord. The same is true today when the word of God is properly interpreted in our own study or in preaching. So again, we will know that God is at work among us, not when we're in every Bible study, but when God's word is getting inside of us and it's changing us. First John, or John chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus spoke about how following him was part of intimacy with him. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. One of the greatest ways to gauge if God is at work among his people is to ask the question, what has God been speaking to you through his word recently? What is he convicting you of? What is he encouraging you in? What is he calling you to? If we have nothing to say, then maybe we aren't seeking God actively. Maybe the Word of God is not alive within us. And if that's the case, oh God, we need revival. We need Jesus afresh and anew. Secondly, from this passage, we see that when Jesus comes to church, not only has God's Word come alive, but we see darkness is revealed. In verses 23 through 24, we see that this moment of Jesus' teaching and the people's astonishment is interrupted by a man in the synagogue who had an unclean spirit. Look with me in verses 23 and 24. It says, Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit who cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now what's incredible to see here is that Jesus stepped into a room and a man in whom we don't know really anything about that was in bondage to a demonic spirit that seemingly had not been revealed prior to Jesus' entrance and teaching that the darkness within him was suddenly revealed by the presence of Jesus. We see this truth all over the New Testament that when Jesus or men and women of God that are full of the Spirit of God, when they are near, when they come in contact with demons and darkness and even sinful practices, that they are revealed. It appears from Scripture that Satan loves to stay subtle, to stay hidden in darkness in order that he might deceive and torment others. However, when darkness comes in contact with Jesus, it cannot stay hidden. 
In a similar way that the force of a great ship coming by can stir up the things off of the bottom to the surface to be seen. The same is true when Jesus steps into our lives or when Jesus steps into the church. That which is on the bottom comes to the top. That which is hidden in darkness begins to be revealed. There are a few ways that I believe that God does this specifically. I believe that when Jesus comes to church, when Jesus shows up, that he begins to reveal our sin. I believe he begins to reveal strongholds. And he does reveal what is satanic or directly demonically influenced. Now we're going to focus primarily on sin today, but let me explain the other two. I believe that when Jesus comes to church, that we should see people loosed of strongholds. Now, this can be strongholds in our minds. This can be addictions. This can be those areas in our life. Essentially, what a stronghold is, is it's a fortress of lies. The Bible talks about Ephesians chapter 4, to not give the enemy a foothold. It's something where he's just kind of got ground in your heart and life. Sometimes strongholds are those things that have held you for years that hinder your relationship with God. Well, the Bible says that when Jesus shows up is that he can set free people of strongholds because in whom the Son is set free, he is free indeed. And the Bible also shows that when Jesus steps on the scene, we see this in the life of Jesus, but also in the life of those in the New Testament that the satanic is revealed, that those who are genuinely demonically oppressed, that it comes to light. This is essentially the situation that we see here in Mark chapter 1 when the man who is, has the unclean spirit is revealed. Church family, this type of dark spiritual activity is real, and I've seen it. Many people who live in this kind of oppression can go unchallenged until they come in contact with the Spirit of God, which is why we should pray that God reveals it among His people so that they can be set free. However, the most common way we see darkness being revealed in the lives of God's people is that when he is revealing sin. Here's the big truth today. When Jesus is truly working among us, we should see the darkness of sin being revealed regularly. You know, all over Scripture, when people come in contact with God, it's like somebody turns the light on in sin. Have you ever gone into an abandoned house or somewhere and you walk in, you turn the lights on, and all the cockroaches or the mice just run in every different corner? Some of you right now are like, oh my gosh, please take me out of this room. I believe that happens when Jesus steps in. All the creepy, crawly, dark things of our life begin to be revealed. We see it in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, what's the first thing that he said? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. We see the same thing true all over today, all over Scripture. Today, God is revealing sin to His people. It's one of the greatest works for us to know that God is at work. And even right now, God may be revealing sin. He may be bringing to your mind unconfessed sin, hidden parts of your life where God, where Jesus is not Lord over. And I would say this to you today. Remember, Jesus revealing sin is never about condemnation. It's always about invitation. It's always about drawing you unto himself. So this morning, even right now, you may be sensing that. Let me tell you what you need to hear. Hear the words of that old hymn, softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See all the portals. He's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Some of you may be so distant from God, you have no hope in your life today. And the reason very well may be that you don't know the God who created you. And even right now, Jesus may be revealing that fact to you. Whether God is revealing to you today that you need to come to know Jesus for the first time, 
or maybe you're a follower of Christ and God just there's unconfessed sin in your life that you need to lay before the Lord, then know that that is God working. And through His revelation, yes, it does sting at first, but it's the first step towards freedom. I was able to watch Jesus do this in my first few weeks as a pastor here uh, at Enon. I was so excited. It kind of goes down in my mind as the first person that I saw the Lord reveal, uh, set free from strongholds. Had a man come into my office, a great, good, godly man, who, like many others, had accidentally allowed a sin to stay in his heart and life for a while, and ultimately he became addicted to alcohol. And we talked and counseled for a while, and he was broken, genuinely broken and weeping, and he called out to the Lord to forgive him. And then immediately he started taking steps to get free from that and uh, got into a program, which, by the way, we're looking forward to this fall to be able to host a freedom class to help people with struggles with addiction and strongholds like that to be able to be set free. And as we counseled and spent some time together, I was so excited that several months later, he came up to me and said, man, I just want to let you know, praise God, I'm 120 days sober. God had done a work in him. It started out with God stinging him because of sin, but then left him being set free. Church family, I believe that the markers of Jesus really being at life and at work in the lives of people personally within our church is that darkness will not be able to abide unchecked and unrevealed. If Jesus is really working among us, the Spirit of God will not allow that to go unconvicted. I believe that if Jesus really is at work among us, that at some point we should see those with unclean spirits being revealed among us. Because in our day and age, can we honestly say with a straight face as we look at the darkness that is happening in our world, that demons are not at work in the world and that people are not indwelt with darkness? We absolutely can see that we need God to be at work. We need to see the satanic revealed. We need to see strongholds set free. But church family, listen to me. We will not get to that level of spiritual warfare if not at first we are not daily letting the presence of God deal with our sin. Where we are regularly being called to be right with God. Whether that be for those who need to come to know Jesus or for all of us as believers being called regularly to live in holiness before God. We'll never be perfect. But one of the greatest markers of Jesus working in our church will be He's calling us to greater holiness and greater intimacy. Church family, we cannot say that God is at work in us, that Jesus is present among us, if sin is never being revealed. So again, when Jesus comes to church, his word, the Word becomes alive within us. Darkness is revealed. And then thirdly and finally, from this passage, we see that when Jesus comes to church, people's lives are changed. The climax of this record of Jesus working in the synagogue synagogue can be seen clearly in verses 25 and 28 as we see Jesus setting this man free from darkness and ultimately changing his life forever. Look at verse 25. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. Which, by the way, just listen to that. The power of God is being displayed in the church of the Old Testament, essentially. And it's foreign to them. How much should this grieve us today? That it's possible to be the people of God without the power of God. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. 
Church family, this passage should remind us that when Jesus shows up, when Jesus steps into the doors of our home, when Jesus steps into our lives, when Jesus steps into the church, lives are changed. You know, the Bible's got a lot to say about life change. In John chapter 3, it's called being born again. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Jesus said, if anyone's in Christ, Paul said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Over and over again in the Bible, we see when people met Jesus, they were never the same. He took Peter from being a fisherman and made him a fisher of men. He took Zacchaeus and took him from being a greedy tax collector and made him a generous servant of the poor. He took Saul from being a murderer of Christians and made him the greatest missionary of Christianity. Now, it's one thing for us to know today and celebrate, and rightfully we should celebrate all that Jesus did in the past. We also need to know that that's not just in the past, that the same Jesus is today, yesterday, today, and forever, and he is still desiring to change lives. Church family, Jesus wants to step into Enon Baptist Church and through Enon Baptist Church change North Jefferson County. With the power of God. Let me give you a few ways we'll know when Jesus is among us how he'll change lives. First, when Jesus is working among his people, he does it by changing their eternities. There's arguably no greater work of life change in someone's time on this earth than to go from being an enemy of God because we're sinners to being a child of God through the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus is still doing that today. That may not seem to be that important to some of you here today, but trust me, one day it will. As a pastor, I've stood at the bedside of the young and the old as they prepare to leave this earth. And the question everyone is asking in that moment is concerning the eternity, is, is, is concerning the certainty of their eternity. And unless you're a follower of Jesus, 2,000 years of the authorities of the scriptures say that you are hopeless. But praise God, one of the greatest opportunities that I have as a pastor and that all of us here today, just as Christians, as missionaries here in North Jefferson County, is to let those around us know that in Jesus, He can save you. In Jesus, when you leave this world in death, you can be certain for heaven and eternity. In Luke chapter 19, verse 9, just as Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Today, salvation has come to this house. Jesus can step into homes around us and say, Today, salvation has come to this home. Today, salvation has come to this home. Just down the road, my mom is here this morning. 744 Reno Street. I was 14 years old. I remember laying in my bed the night after I gave my life to Jesus and recognizing that Jesus had said to me, Today, salvation has come to this house. I've got a one of the most special things in the world to me is I have a banner in my office of a text message my brother sent me uh, the night before I preached in view of a call here at Enon. And on that banner it says, uh, Brother, I'm so excited, excited to you. God is such a story-writing God. Who would have ever known that years ago, God, when God found a young teenage boy in a home and he said, I'm going to save that young man and one day I'm going to use him in the same community. Church family, say something. The power of God is still at work to save. He's still at work to step into homes and change people's lives for eternity. And this is what we should long for. If it hasn't happened in our lives, then we need to pray that it happens in our life. Oh, Jesus, save me. And if it's happened in your life, say, oh, God, now use me to see it happen in other people's lives. Jesus is still changing eternities. Secondly, when Jesus is working among his people, 
He changes their lives by changing them morally. Essentially, this happens again. This is part of that whole life change. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God within them begins to move them what's called sanctification. You begin to desire to do the things that God wants you to do, and you begin to hate the things that God doesn't want you to do. It's part of that supernatural work. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, the prophet speaks about what would happen one day when Jesus is saving people. And this is what he says. He said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to obey, observe my ordinances. Church family, how many of us have seen those people? Or maybe it was true even in our lives when when Jesus so radically saved us that everybody around you could see that they are different. This person's different. They treat their families different. They're different employees. They're different people in the community. This is what we're praying for. But it doesn't happen just through moral teaching. It doesn't happen just through trying to adjust behaviors. It happens through the movement of the power of God. And lastly, when Jesus is working among his people, he changes their lives by changing them emotionally. The Bible doesn't say it here in this text, but can you imagine what this man who was burdened by the demonic, how his mind was different, how emotionally he was different. In fact, later on in Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus again casting an unclean spirit out of someone. The Bible says that this man was living among the tombs. He would well out at night. He was injuring himself. But when Jesus set him free, the Bible says that he was clothed and in his right mind. It was as if Jesus had given him peace. Church family, for those of us who are Christians, it doesn't mean that we won't endure moments of hardship and discouragement. Becoming to know Jesus means that God is our anchor. He is our peace. He is our truth in the midst of that brokenness. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke about the joy that would be given to people when they come to faith in Jesus. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. There's something special and beautiful about seeing Jesus take the loads off of people's minds and hearts. About setting them free and giving them his peace. Friends, this is the kind of life change that Jesus can do and is doing in the world today. And if we look down later in this text, we see that when this takes place, what happens? The Bible says, and his fame began to be spread everywhere. And then again, if you look down later in the text again, the Bible says that the entire city goes and is looking for him. Can I say, what is the best church growth strategy at Enon Baptist Church? And that is the presence of a living Jesus at work among us. When God is at work among us, when people are being saved and born again and lives are being changed, then God will draw the people. And God will bring the people. So as we close, what should this passage do in our hearts and lives today? They give us two potential responses. I'm going to ask Brother Ron if he'd begin to come. First, I think this passage should inform us. It should inform us about what it really looks like for God to be at work among His people. It can be a temptation for us today in our modern day to become enamored by making sure our church is known for our sound and lighting, for our facilities and ministries, for our humor and our flash. Now don't get me wrong, God can use all of these things. But if they were all stripped away, would Jesus still be at work among us? If we were meeting next Sunday morning in a tent, if everything we had was wiped away by fire, we pray, oh God, may it not happen. Would Jesus still be at work among us? 
I think sometimes with our best intentions and sometimes even with our best efforts towards excellence in church that sometimes we can concentrate so much in setting up a service that we miss the Savior. We can do so work so hard to make sure that everybody's having fun that we miss faith. We can focus so much on making sure everybody is comfortable that we miss what it looks like to be conformed to the image of Jesus and the power of God. A sad truth of this passage, by the way, is to ask yourself the question. I use my sanctified imagination here. How long had that man been in church? That wrecks me. How long was the man bound with darkness among people of God and even among the Word of God but was never challenged because the Spirit of God was there? Is Enon Baptist Church a place where a lost man can walk in, where a man in bondage can come in, where somebody is struggling and come in, walk in and walk out the exact same and never be drawn by the Spirit of God? If it's not, it won't be because... My preaching ability. If it's not, it won't be because of our music. If it's not, it won't be because of our best efforts in life group. If it's not, it will be because we're a people who are hungry and desperate in prayer and fasting and seeking and pursuing God, saying, oh, Jesus, we need you more than we need anything else in this world. Church family, if this message does anything for us today, may it move us to prayer. I remember at, I remember at uh, Arley First Baptist Church, this little community, there was a bunch of guys who wanted to see the Spirit of God move. And every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., they arrived, six or eight, ten guys, and they would walk the parking lot. They'd pray in every parking spot, Oh, God, would you fill it? Fill it today with people. And, Oh, God, would you fill it with your presence, with your Spirit? And they would pray over every parking spot every morning that God would show up. Can I say something? God showed up. So it should inform us. And lastly, I believe it should inspire us. Church family, this text should inspire us that there's more. There's more in the kingdom of God. There's more in the presence of Jesus. There is more that he wants to do powerfully among his people. And as the world gets darker, we've got to get hotter and brighter. And the only way we get hotter and brighter is for the Spirit of God to be more filled and at work within us today. So church family, what I'm asking you for this morning is I'm proclaiming, I'm begging for a summer of seeking. Wherever you are with Jesus, say, I want more. If you've got something in your life that's hindering you, say, oh God, I want you to set me free. If you need to set time to, to sit down with me or one of our pastors and say, oh God, I need more. If you need to, Listen, we're here, but whatever you need to do, say, oh God, I want more. When we come to that place, God promises he'll meet with us. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Jesus said in Revelations 3, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. We end on this story. Several years ago, a friend of mine was pastoring a church and God was doing a, I mean, an incredible work there. People were being saved. The church was growing, but you could see the undercurrent of it. Man, there were people that were, there were prayer meetings that were showing up everywhere. There were life groups that were meeting on Sunday, but they met every Monday night for an hour, two hours, three hours just to pray. They would take the book of Acts and pray through the book of Acts together, chapter of a week, and just ask God to move. There was a hunger for God among the people. Man, you could sense it on Sundays. People came in ready, came in ready to meet. 
And one Sunday after God had moved and the altar was filled with people, there were people getting saved, and there were people that were getting set free, people were being prayed for. It was a Sunday like today, there were some kiddos in church. And a mama was driving home from church and her young daughter was in the seat behind her and she said, Mama, I saw Jesus today. Mama said, well, hey, baby, that's good, you know, we're supposed to see Jesus every Sunday. She said, no, Mama, I saw him today, I saw him in the service. She kind of began to be intrigued. She said, what are you talking about? She said, Mama, I saw Jesus. He was walking up and down the aisles. He was walking in the pews. And every time he would touch somebody, that person would stand up and come forward. He was walking up and down just touching people. And they were coming forward. They were being moved in the best way that she could describe it. Church family, I, I don't know if that was imagination or if that was real, but I can tell you from the authority of Scripture that the Bible says the fullness of Christ has been given to the church. And the Bible says that if we open the door, that He will come. So church family, what I'm asking us today is would we be a people who's seeking to come? And in fact, I want to ask us to do that even this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe some of you this morning, you just need to give your lives to Jesus. You, you don't know Christ. Can I say He's here this morning? He is here. And you can call that to Him to save you. You can cry it even right now. Dear Jesus, I don't know you. But I believe you died for my sin and you love me. So I ask you, save me, Jesus. Save me and He'll change your life right there where you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you say, God, I want you to be moving and at work in my life. But I've got some stuff that's hindering that. Maybe today you take that step towards freedom. Oh God, set me free of some strongholds. We're going to have pastors down here up front that will pray with you. Feel free to come and let one of these guys pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you say, Brother Zach, I just, I'm not hungry for you. I'm just satisfied. Maybe, oh God, you say, oh Lord, help me to hunger for you again. You feel free to come and pray if you need to. You can pray there at your pews. But let me invite you to go meet with God today. Father, we love you. God, I pray in Jesus' name, would you move among your people for your name and your glory. In Jesus' name.